How's everybody doing? It is episode 95 of the SoCal Watch Reviews podcast. I am Miguel. Mm. Hope everybody's having a fantastic day. Today is Halloween, October 31st. Uh, P. Ross, how's it going? Yo, it's going, man. Episode 95. We are in the building. Let's get it. On our way to 100. I cannot wait. Uh, but today we got we got an amazing guest and, and a bit of a controversy in not him, but the topic in topics we're going to discuss, um, you know, investing and some other things. People don't view watches as investments and you know, we'll get into all that. But uh, but yeah, let's, let's jump in. P. Ross, do the introduction. Yo, first of all, this guy, he has a hard hitting collection. OK, that's an understatement. That like, is an understatement. I mean, yes, it is. You know what I mean? But it's hard hitting. You know, but we have in the building NYC Watch Guy. Let's get it. Uh. NYC Watch Guy. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, guys. That's uh, that's one hell of an intro. That is, uh, you know, I, I've I've always dreamt of uh, of getting an introduction during the starting lineups of a basketball game, and I think this might be the closest I'm going to get to that. God damn. Okay. Right, right, right. For sure. Anytime you just you woke him up, let he... me know. I don't Anytime think you need expecting one, that. Let me know. <laughs> hey man, yes, how's it going? How's how's everything in New York? It's great, man. It's been a it was a long night. It was uh, you know Kelly Yock, the uh, the director of Tiffany Patek for a long, long time. It was her fiftieth birthday this weekend, and she wanted to get roasted. So we were all mm. uh, at this giant party in fucking New Jersey of all places uh, oh, wow. but you know we, we went out there and there were a, a bunch of people that roasted her and it was uh it got pretty brutal I mean it was it was wow. a couple of them was comedy central level roasting so holy she, really? she took she, she took it like a champ oh, okay why would why would anybody want to be roasted I, I I'm, I'm so sensitive I'll, I'll be like crying <laughs> just, don't, don't, just <laughs> say nice things about me that's crazy <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, uh, but yeah, that's the thing about the watch community, you know, half, half that room was, was watch people that had come out, uh, for year after years of either buying stuff from her or hearing her saying, no, I can't sell you anything. But, uh, regardless, uh, yeah. they, they were out there to, to witness the roast and it was, uh, it was pretty glorious. Wow. Is it, is it, can we mm-hmm. see it anywhere? Was it recorded or no? If you were there, you were there. I, and... I don't know if anyone recorded or not. I recorded, mm-hmm. um, Parts of it, I posted some of it on the gram on my stories this morning. Okay. It's going to disappear, okay. so you guys might want to watch that. I'm going to um, watch it. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, and then I've got I've got some other footage, uh, but I'm, I haven't cleared it with her yet. So I'm not sure if she wants anyone to post all of it. Sure. But I posted like a minute and a half of it that was very, very good and very, very brutal. So uh, it, it's mm. worth watching. Nice. Cool. So you I'll must be tired. So we we appreciate you uh, waking up early to do this podcast. It really does mean uh, a lot. Appreciate it, man. All good. All good. And, I could only imagine the watches in the room, though. Oh, <laughs> oh, lot, lot, of, lot of Tiffany stamp protects, no doubt. Um, so you know, re- retail price not so high, but the uh, secondary market price in that room was uh, was higher than Snoop Dogg. So, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. wow, <laughs> that is so funny. You heard, so you heard it here. You heard it here. You heard it here on the SoCal Watch Reviews podcast, yo. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good one. Wow, this guy got jokes. All right, let's 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 do a wrist check. What what are you wearing, man? I'm I'm very curious to know what you're wearing. I, well, I, I just had to put on whatever I had on last night, which is the uh, 38 oh millimeter uh, AP Panda Chrono. Um, one of, one of my friends wanted to try it on. He's a little dude and he wanted to know whether the 38 was the right one for him or not. So I, I put this on for last night and I just had it sitting out on the, on the dresser. So as I was hopping onto this podcast, I was like, shit, I probably need to put something on my wrist. So I just grabbed that. <laughs> right on. That's a very nice piece. That's a very yes, nice piece. And we'll get into your collection a little later. Cause when we, when we say you have, you have a heady hidden collection, we don't, we, we really mean it. So P Ross, what are you rocking, man? Um, I'm rocking the citizen open heart automatic Clean. all right all right yes sir well i knew this guest had like the heaviest collection so i said hmm, you know what let <laughs> me take a look at my collection and what is the least expensive piece i have and it's a casio ca3w little calculator Get watch em. how about that 
How about that, huh? Hey, NYC? hey man, huh? listen, that's that's the, that's the watch that I always wanted as a kid, and I could never afford. And, uh, and so that's that's a that's a special watch to me because that, along with, um, you know, Casio always also had the uh, the TV control one. I don't know if you guys. Oh seen that yes, yeah. yes. Like, so you could control mm-hmm. TVs. Those yeah. two watches they captured my imagination when I was you know nine ten years old. We didn't have the money to buy either of those, but. I just loved the idea of being able to control someone's TV discreetly using your watch. Right. I thought it was the coolest yeah. thing in the world. Yeah. A, a buddy of mine in elementary school had one and he, he kept messing with the teacher's TV. Nobody <laughs> knew what the hell was going on. The, 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 the TV was haunted or something. Yes. I do remember those watches. So um, yeah. And I figured I, I, I wear something so inexpensive. I actually bought this for my son. I have the original uh, data bank from the eighties, which I wore as a, as a child. And then I have the second generation data bank, which I wore as a child. And then when my, my son is six, so I'm like, you know what? These are inexpensive. They're cool. And he likes my vintage ones. Right. So I bought him this at Walmart for like 19 bucks, 18 bucks. And, uh, yesterday we went to a Halloween party and we dressed up like the ghostbusters. So I'm like, this is fitting son. You got to wear this. So he was wearing six year old, wearing his little calculator watch dressed like a ghostbuster. I'm like classic, you know, you you got me thinking I need to go back and find like the original, original versions of these from 20, 30 years ago when they came out. Cause when you, when you just look at what's going on with vintage tech right now, like if you can find an iPhone one that is still sealed in box, I mean, that bitch worth like $40,000. Are you serious? So, mm. Holy oh, yeah. Crap. Vintage tech is, is crazy. So I got to imagine that nobody has caught on to the vintage the digital watch market yet. So uh, I, I, that you're might right. be my afternoon session today. I'm going on eBay. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And, and they actually are going up. Last time I checked one of those uh, DB, whatever they call the, the data banks, I don't know the reference. They were like a hundred and something dollars. I'm like, wait, what? for a little yeah. digital watch yeah so i mean mm-hmm. I, I i see it i see it but uh yeah. yeah before we get into this i'm sure people are super intrigued already who is this guy cracking jokes talking about <laughs> investing and talking he you know a lot you're like a <laughs> you just have so much information but let the people who you who you are or, or as much as you want to let us know who you are and what got you into watch collecting yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I kind of live two different lives. There's like this <laughs> online watch persona that kind of just came out of nowhere um, over the last couple of years since I started the account. And then there's, you know, there's me in real life. And in real life, like I'm this huge basketball fan, uh, die hard, like play three to five days a week, go to a couple hundred NBA college games every year, watch all 63 NCAA tournament games, been to wow. the final four. 10 years mm. in a row now, like I, you know, when they coined the term ball is life, they were talking about me. Uh, and so it's funny because everyone thinks I'm like this watch obsessed dude, but like in reality, I'm this basketball obsessed dude that also has this little obsession for watches. Um, you know, entrepreneur started some companies, um, venture capital, invest in a lot of startups. So I'm like, I'm in that ecosystem, which, you know, it's not, exactly the most watch friendly um group right like it's kind of seen as douchey to be rocking big watches in in the startup ecosystem and so you know that's one of the reasons why i kind of stay under the radar i'm not out there Mm -hmm. i love watches i'm not out there trying to flex on anybody i just i love the mechanical side of these things i'm an engineer by trade um from the time i was probably seven eight years old obsessed with the casio digital watches eventually Mm -hmm. Um, got to college, didn't know anything about watches, but uh, they just looked cool to me. And I bought my first watch when I was 25 years old, exactly 10 years ago. Uh, I bought, I bought a Zenith El Primero mm. uh, Chrono Master for 3000 bucks. Uh, and I've told this story a wow. lot. I, I saw an ad for a Zenith in, in some online magazine and I was like, damn, like, I, and I didn't know anything about why, like literally I knew there was this brand called Rolex. And there was a brand called Casio. That was all I knew about watches. And so I see this thing called Zenith and I'm like, yo, what's that? Um, and I start doing some research and I find this, a picture of this open, uh, this Chrono Master sort of open work with a little open dial in it, a little bit of the dial's open. And you can see the movement. And I was like, yo, that's, that's really dope. And it was like a 7000 or $8,000 watch at retail at the time. Oh. I couldn't afford seven or $8,000 10 years ago. So I was like, all right, I got to find this thing on the secondary market. 
So I'm looking all over New York and, you know, the secondary market was very different 10 years ago. Like Chrono was barely around. Uh, so you, you bought a lot of this stuff on eBay and everyone had warned me like, yo, you got to be careful about buying a watch on eBay because shit could be fake. Right. And I, I don't know how to tell if something's fake or not. So um, <laughs> I, I basically was like, all right, I shouldn't buy this on eBay. Let me try to find it in a store. And I happened to be in, um, in Italy on a, on a trip. And I basically had mapped out every watch store in Rome. And my plan was, all right, I got it. Like, I got to find this watch somehow. And so I'm just walking and walking and walking store to store. Nobody has this watch. And finally, I've given up. It's like, it's the, it's the end of the day. I'm walking back to my hotel. And I was like, you know what? Let's go into, um, let's go into this jewelry store real quick because it's hot as hell. Let me get some, some air conditioning. So I go into this jewelry store. There's this old woman behind the counter. And I'm like, ah, let me try my luck. And I say, hey, you know, do you have a, any Zenith El Primeros? And she goes, I don't know, but I have a few watches in the back. Let me go find them. So she goes into her safe and she brings out a roll of watches that she had probably taken on trade or whatever from people. No box, no papers on anything. And she opens up the roll and in the roll is the exact wow. watch mm. in the size and the color that I want. And I'm going, Crazy. it's fate. Like, wow. you know, yeah. God wanted me to have this watch. So <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I basically, you know, uh, I, I haggle her down. We get to like, I think it was $3,000 if I remember. And, uh, and I buy this watch and I'm happy as a clam. I wore that every day for the next two years. And I said, I'm never going to buy another watch again. There's really no reason for anyone to ever own more than one watch. And shit, I just right. spent three grand on this. Yeah. Uh, so two years go by. I'm in Istanbul now and uh, I'm staying at this hotel. And in the lobby of the hotel, there was a watch store. And, I, and to this day, I don't even remember whether it was, I don't think it was a brand boutique. I think it was probably like a really small multi-brand store but they had Langa and in the window, oh. they had like a Langa one that was on display. And so for seven days to breakfast and back every day, I've passed this store and I look at the window and I see a Langa one. I don't know what the hell Langa is. Mm. I, I, and so I, I was like, man, but that is the most beautiful fucking watch I've ever seen in my life. And so I go back to my hotel room and I Google Langa. And that was the great mistake of my life was fucking using Google uh, <laughs> because that shit landed me in the forums, it landed me on Hodinkee oh, and I started mm. to read about watches and I found out that there's this whole other world that exists beyond Casio and Rolex and yeah. apparently the, you know, the, Z the Zenit that I had. And that kind of launched the itch in me, I feel like. Um, and so from there, you know, I still couldn't afford a Langa, but um, I said, okay, what's the closest thing to this that's like somewhat approachable? And it was a Panomatic Lunar from from Glashuta Original. Okay. And so I, you know, that became sort of my first big purchase, which was at the time, you know, 9,000 bucks. Um, I still remember I was on, I was flying to India and, uh, and we were stopped in uh, in Frankfurt on a layover. And I go to the, the store there and they had one in the airport. And again, I don't mm. know anything about how you negotiate. I didn't know that, you know, if you're buying a Swatch Group brand, you better negotiate 30% off. I didn't know all this shit. Right. And so <laughs> I just go in there and I pay retail price on this yeah. damn watch. Um, but again, it, it, you know, I loved it. It was so cool to have sort of this high end watch be a high end, but everything's relative at that time. That was extremely right. high end for me and great German engineering and off center dial. Like everything was great about that watch. I loved it for a long time. And slowly, the more I read, the more I met up with people in the New York City watch community, started going to red bars, started going to all these things, like they all became enablers for me because you would see a lot of pieces that you, you knew nothing about. And, and honestly, Instagram at the time, like it wasn't that big. It was just starting to take off the watch community on Instagram. Um, and so I had started posting like a few pictures under my personal account. Eventually, I was like, you know what, this isn't this isn't where I should be posting this stuff. Like my personal account is, is basketball and right. and animals, and and you know, I don't want to sort of converge these two lives. And so, you know, 2016 was when I I launched NYC Watch Guy just as a, an account where I could post watches and not feel weird about it because <laughs> I didn't want to be putting them on my personal account. And right. you know, here we here we are, sort of five years later, this thing's. It's gone crazy. I mean, there's. I was in, at Geneva Watch Days um, a few a few months ago, and there were people stopping me on the street, going, "Yo, are you NYC Watch Guy?" I'm like, what "The fuck? Like, how do you even know what I look like?" And they're like, "Oh, we watched this one video you did." And 
it was great though. But the, the coolest part I think about all of it has been now I can go to any city in the world and I go on the gram and I say, I'm here. And there will be 20 watch guys that will DM me and be like, Hey man, can we get lunch? Can we get dinner? Can we take you around? Like whatever. And so, you know, so I've gone from being this loser that would eat alone at restaurants (laughs) when I was on business trips to now having a community of people that show up for every single meal when I'm in a, in a city. And I'm talking globally In, in the past two months, I've been in, in Paris, Copenhagen, London, um, the Netherlands, Geneva, and every single one of those cities for every single meal, there were a bunch of watch dudes that showed up with a roll of watches and we broke mm. bread. And that is the coolest part about this hobby for me. Yeah. Cool. That's I, I got to agree with you, man. I mean, in what other circumstance would you and I be talking? I mean, maybe if I start a business and needed money, I'll be talking to you. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that, that, that's completely different. And, and I love what you said, right? In the, in the line of work that you're in or the world that you live in, um, flexing is probably frowned upon. And they're probably all wearing uh, Apple watches if they're even wearing a that's watch, exactly. right? Or Rolex, maybe. Who knows? But but yeah, it's so cool that in, in our little world, if you're not a snob because we don't appreciate snobs. And clearly... This, this, this is a lesson for anybody watching and listening. This is how you have to be. This guy has a heavy hitting collection, but he is a down to earth guy. He could break bread with anybody. He doesn't care what watch you have. As long as you like watches, you speak his language. And that's right the on. beauty of watches. You know, it's, we have that in common. So that's awesome. Yeah, man. Speaking of watches, well, can you let us know what's in that hard hitting collection right now as we speak? <laughs> So it's a lot of independence. I've, I've always been that guy. And I think it comes from the fact that you know, I've always worked in startups. I've never had a corporate job. I never can have a corporate job. And so, you know, I, I look at, at that because there's always crossover between your real life and, and I think, you know, what, how and, and, and what you collect. And I feel the same way about sports. I've always said the guy that you are on the basketball court is the guy that you are in real life. And so oftentimes when I'm interviewing people, okay. I take them out to play some pickup ball that you can tell a lot about a person in 30 minutes of playing pickup basketball with them than, than probably more than, than you can tell from them sitting across you from a, on a, at a table and, and trying yeah. to bullshit you into who they really are. Right. And You're so right. for me, for me, it's, I've, I've always been uh, someone who supported the underdog. I, I write checks into startups when it's two guys in a basement and a, and a PowerPoint deck. And so I think I took that over to the watch world and I said, you know, I've never bought a Rolex and I never will because Rolex just doesn't speak to me. There's nothing that Rolex puts out that makes me feel like I need to own it because it's mass produced. They're a massive conglomerate. I know okay. that my purchase does nothing for them. Meanwhile, you know, you talk MBNF, Gronfeld, you know, now Chopek, all these small independent brands where they're making you know, anywhere from 50 to call it 200 watches a year. Um, every sale kind of matters for them. Uh, you know, we can actually make a difference. They, they, the level of finishing is spectacular because they're making so few watches that unlike even a, a, a Patek or an AP, which I love both those brands, but you know, they're making 40,000, 50,000 watches a year. They can't do the level of hand finishing that a small independent can do. And so overall, you know, I, I find myself a lot more drawn to those brands. And I kind of started there. Like FP Jorn was one of the first watches. I bought a Chronometer Blue back when it was $17,000 wow. on Great a forum. Investment. Great investment. Right? <laughs> um, so like there's watches like that where I started. And then MBNF was one of my first watches as well. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of came back around to Patek and AP many, many years later, which is weird because most people start there. Right? Usually the path right. is you buy your first Rolex, then you're probably going to buy a Patek, and then you might go AP. And then, you know, 10 years down the road, somebody tells you about these independents and you, you're like, all right, let me dabble in that weird shit. I was like, yo, the weird shit is what talks to me right off the bat. And so I started there and it wasn't until almost, I'd say, seven years into buying watches that I bought my first Patek and my first AP. Uh, and so that was not that long ago. It was only like four years ago that I bought into those brands for the first time. And look, if you put a gun to my head and you said, you got to sell everything, you can only have one watch. Ironically, it would be an AP for me because I just think the Royal okay. Oak is, it, it's, it's so iconic. 
you can wear it on anything. And I'm a casual dude. I'm usually in shorts and, and, and a hoodie. So, you know, the Royal Oak goes well with that. But if I ever needed to dress up, you can wear a Royal Oak on a suit or a tux, no problem. Uh, and, and the history, like, you know, the, everything around the quartz crisis and how Genta came up with the, with the iconic design and, and 1971, the A-series coming out, like all of the history and the fact that, that AP has truly withstood the test of time 50 years later. I mean, next year is the 50th anniversary of the Royal Oak um, and, and it's hotter than ever. So to me, you, you know, you, you, you do need to withstand the test of time to be an iconic brand and iconic model. And, and obviously the Royal Oak has managed to do that, which is why, again, if it was just one watch, it would still be a Royal Oak for me. Uh, okay. But you know, today the, the, the collection's got MBNF, it's got Gronfeld, um, it's got some RM, it's got Patek, it's got AP. Uh, and then there's some really small guys, like there's this guy Shapiro, uh, Josh Shapiro down in LA, uh, who's a local watchmaker. He was a high school principal. He taught himself how to make watches, which is batshit crazy to me. Right. Um, and now he's, you know, he's got a full-fledged, you know, sort of made in USA thing going for him. His watches aren't cheap. They're like, they start at 20 grand, but he's been mm -hmm. able to build a, a pretty nice business doing that. Uh, and so, yeah, I got a group of five or six guys together last year and we, we sort of put in an order to get five really unique watches. Uh, so cool. mine should be coming in about a week or so. So there's guys like that that I like working with as well. You know, really, I'd say I'm, I'm all over the place. And it's funny because I, you know, I just had this conversation with Longa as I was trying to get, you know, the new Zeitwerk Lumen that just came out. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, Crazy. they're they're being pretty difficult about allocations, as you probably can expect from a brand that's really something hot. And, you know, my my thing to them was, listen. I'm never going to be a VIP client for you guys because you have dudes that are spending millions of dollars with you. I, and, and they're deep into longer. There, there's guys like that with AP and there's guys like that with every brand where they, you know, they come in and they're right. spending a million bucks with that brand every year. I love so many different brands that I don't have the money to come in and drop a mill with any brand. You know, I'm buying across so many different brands and that to me is the great, paradox today in, in watch collecting is, is what do you do? Do you spend all of your time and effort on one brand and become a VIP for them so that when the green Nautilus uh, comes out, you're, you're <laughs> in line for one? Or do you buy everything or at least as much as you like across brands because everyone's right. doing su such cool stuff, but it leaves you in sort of no man's land with every brand because they're like, well, you bought one watch from us, but you know, there's 50 guys that are buying 10 from us every year. So mm. you're, you know, you're just not on the list for anything with us. And so that's, that's the big question these days. And um, it, it's unfortunate that it's come to that. But I also get it's, a, this is a business. At the end of the day, we all forget that this is a business. And most of these damn companies are part of public conglomerates where they got to, they get share price up for next quarter. Um, so they're going to do whatever they can to sell as many watches as quickly as possible. Mm. Well, that's and that leads me to my next question. You, you hit the nail on the head. It is a business. So, what point did watches become an asset class? Because a lot of people still, I mean, real watch lovers are like, watches are not investments. Just buy a watch because you like it. And I agree for some watches, but there is the higher end stuff, the independence that it's an asset. You know, it's an investment. So, at what point, in your opinion, did they become assets? I think nothing ever happens overnight, right? Everything's sort of right. a steady increase to a tipping point when all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, um, look at this graph. It's, it's gone nuts. And so I've been in the game, you know, for, for about 10 years, but really I'd say I've been in the game for maybe five to seven, like really studying the market and understanding um, what's going on. And, and really I'd say it was probably in the last in the last 18 months is when we've really seen a, a complete shift in, 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 in like small independence where you were, you were able to buy these things for 40 to 50% off all of a sudden, you know, secondary markets been cleaned up. There's nothing there anymore. So it's like, okay, what just happened? Who cleaned this up? Was it, was it Watchbox? Was it the brand themselves coming in and taking stuff off the secondary market to make sure that nothing was lying around there? Because look, ultimately, 
the secondary market dictates everything about the primary market today. And, and I'm not just talking about watches. I'm talking about in every single luxury good out there. Um, it's always, if the secondary market is booming, everyone's trying to do whatever they can to buy at retail. And so, you know, things like MBNF and Urwork and brands that I've loved for a long, long time, their stuff was sitting on Chrono and on eBay and even Jorn, right? Jorn's the perfect example. I, I bought a, um, a Okta Calendria, which is one of my favorite Jorn watches ever on eBay for $34,000 in 2017. Mm. And okay. at that time, I could have literally bought a Resonance for 30 something thousand. I could have bought a Turb for probably 60 to 70. You could have literally bought every Jorn ever made on eBay at 50 to 60% off retail prices. Nobody cared. And then what happened? Like all of a sudden you started to see the supply dwindling on the secondary market. And I do think a lot of that was artificially created. I have no doubt that secondary market dealers kind of got together and said, all right, like Jorn's a great brand, does awesome stuff. They're making close to a thousand pieces a year. So there's enough juice to squeeze out of this brand if we were to go and clean up the secondary market, start hoarding all the pieces and we'll trickle them back out. And, you know, did the brand actually want to do any of this? No, I don't, I don't know that, that I, what I've found with most Swiss watch brands is they're not necessarily run by business people. They're run by artists, right? They're, these are, these are creative yeah. guys that just want to create cool shit. That's FP Jorn. Like the man is a master. Uh, he's a master artisan, businessman? I don't know. Uh, I think that that this whole hype in the market was created not by him and by his brand, but by secondary market dealers. And they are the beneficiaries now because now you can't get anything at Jory. Everyone's clamoring to get a piece at retail. And so now business is booming and it's great for the brand. It's great for the early collectors who, who bought pieces five years ago uh, because those things are now up 5x in value. And, and you're going to see this repeat over and over again with different brands, I think. And so you saw it with Jorn in a major way. Um, you know, I think Langa is sort of next. They're, they're sort of feeling that they, you know, their, their, their balls are getting a little big now. They've got uh, <laughs> secondary market prices are going higher because, again, there's look, Langa only makes 3,500 pieces a year. So it's still, yeah. it's still relatively small compared to some of the other more mainstream brands. So they're getting hyped up and now they're out there uh, you know, selling hot pieces at, at primary markets saying, listen, you got to buy something hot. Before, I mean, you got to buy something big before we give you the hot piece, which shit, six months ago, they were happy if anyone was coming in and buying anything from them right. at retail. Um, mm. So it, it, it's all of this, the, the brands that are doing pretty good stuff that we've always had our eye on for the last 10 years. I think all of them are getting to the point now where, they're, you know, they're collectibles. The thing to remember though is, you know, not every single piece will be an asset class, uh, right? right. A across right. every brand, even Patek, you can't look at the entire catalog and say, these things are an asset class. There's a handful of them that are, that, that are hype pieces that are, holy shit, they're going to, they're going to blow through uh, any estimate. Then you've got the pieces that are probably a safe, a safe-ish investment where you're like, look, it's a high complication. They only make so many of these. And ultimately, you know, 20 years from now, someone's going to want these because they're going to be discontinued. And even if they're not a hype piece today and they're not trading over retail, it's a great piece of engineering. It's a great piece of art. It's a good-looking watch. It's a safe investment for you. And then you've got the duds. Like every brand has its duds that, you know, they're trying to bundle with other shit <laughs> because nobody wants them. And, and those are not good buys, but those are the pieces that sometimes you just got to buy either because you want to watch and that's the only thing that's available or because you got to buy it in order to get the, the good stuff. And, um, and so, look, for me, I, it, I think it takes a, a change in mindset early on. I bought a lot of my stuff on the secondary market. And these dealers that I worked with were trying to explain to me what the game was, right, in terms of what to buy, what not to buy, what's going to go up in value, what's not. And so you get into this mindset of, oh, I should only buy a watch if it's going to go up in value or hold its value. I shouldn't buy it otherwise. It's a bad watch. And that's not true. Like so many of the best watches in the world were selling well below retail 
like my 5170P from Patek, which is the only watch I'll ever buy that has diamonds on it because they, you know, the indices are diamond baguettes. Like that was a watch that was trading for 25% under retail. And I looked at that watch. I said, this is a great watch. Like I love, this is my favorite Patek ever. And so I bought that at 25% under retail, you know, three, four years ago, then it gets discontinued. It's still not like hyped up. Now it's finally trading over retail because everyone realized, oh shit, this is a great watch. And it kind of like fell under the radar. And, and so it took a long time for me to get out of that mindset because I had been, it had been ingrained in me from the time I started buying watches that you got to take care. You should only buy them as investments. Don't buy them otherwise. And, and even though I was buying like the weird shit, you know, I was buying the weird shit that I still thought was going to go up in value. And I thought, uh, they were safe. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, listen, like for me, yes, like to some extent, these are investments um, in that I just want to know that I'm not going to get murdered uh, if I were to ever want to sell anything. And, and that's fine. But you got to keep in mind that like everything's cyclical in this world. The stock market is cyclical. The venture market is cyclical. And the watch market will be cyclical too. There is going to come a time when these things are not going to be as hot as they are. Like that, that there's just okay. no way it can just it, it can forever keep going up because nothing hmm. goes up forever, right? And and so the big question I think for every collector is, would you have bought this watch if you knew when you bought it that there was a chance it was going to be worth fifty to sixty percent of what you paid for it, right? And if if the answer in your mind is no then you got to ask yourself, why are you buying the watch in the first place? Right? Mm, like, because clearly that means you, you don't love it. Like you're, you're just buying it because you're like, oh, this is a good investment. I, it's going to keep going up. I'm going to buy it. And that's what's happened. Like the watch market is as frothy as it is today because there's dudes that don't actually love a watch buying it either as a financial instrument or there's probably corporate money now flowing in and people have funds and they're buying uh, these sorts of collectible assets using corporate money because they're going to eventually flip them all and, and, and make a ton of money. And so there's all these speculators in the market that are coming in and buying. And, you know, when I talk to a lot of the, the authorized dealers, the, the thing they'll tell me is, well, the, the easiest way we can tell that somebody's not a real buyer is they'll come in and they'll ask for, you know, say a Royal Oak and they'll be like, okay, like, what are you looking for? And they'll just be like, any Royal Oak's fine. Right. And, and they're mm -hmm. just like, any, any Royal Oak, like, no, no, no real watch guys coming in and saying, just give me any Royal Oak, right? right? That, that's, that's not how we're coming in and going, listen, I want this watch in particular. I'm happy to wait a year if that's what it's going to take, but that's what I want. Like, that's the difference. And so today I think there's, there are still plenty of real collectors out there. I'm not going to say that there's any collector out there who doesn't think about the monetary side of this. Like it definitely makes it easier to buy watches, even as a collector, when you know that your money's kind of safe, you think your money's kind of growing. But ultimately, I think the biggest thing is you have to be okay with the fact that these things could come down and they could come down pretty dramatically. And what would really suck is if when they're all coming down, we all started to unload all of our inventory because we're like, oh shit, it's going down. I don't want, to, I don't want any of these pieces in my collection anymore. And so now we're just adding to the sell-off, right? And that's what happens in a, in a stock market when things start to go down, all of a sudden you've got, you've got everybody selling off in a panic and, and then that just causes stock price to continue to go down and down and down. And you don't want that happening in the watch market, which is why brands need to be careful about who they sell to. You, you can't, I get that for them, a financial buyer today is looking great because the guy's coming in, he's throwing cash around, He's willing to buy the shitty stuff because it's also going to give him the good stuff. But they got to remember that when times are tough, the financial seller is going to be the first one to dump the inventory. The collector who right. really loves that watch is going to be the last one to dump it because he's going to hold on for as long as he can yeah. going, man, I really love this watch. It's only when it's like, oh God, I'm, it's going to be a bloodbath if I wait any longer that you know, the, 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 the real collector may also sell off. So it, it's a double-edged sword for these brands. And I think they're being a little short-sighted right now. Some brands are doing a better job than others. Like I'll tell you, Vacheron in particular, I've been very impressed with them 
in the way with all the hype around the overseas that they've gotten over the past year, right. they, they could just continue selling to the big boys who are financial buyers, but they've been very good about cultivating a new generation of younger uh, collectors that might be coming into the brand for the first time. And they're giving them access to some of the good stuff that otherwise with any other brand, you may have had to wait for a long time or have to spend a lot of money they're going, no, 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 like, let's make sure that the next generation is taken care of. And I've blogged about this a, a little bit. Uh, I think it's really important that, that brands make their, their good stuff accessible to the guys in their, in their, in their mid-20s and early 30s because we're the guys who are going to be around for 30, 40 more years buying sure. watches. If you're cutting us out and you're only taking care of the guy who's 45, 50 that's been buying from you for a long time, it's going to make life real tough when that, that next cycle, that down cycle comes. And all of a sudden, these are not hype watches anymore. They're not trading over retail anymore. And you're, you're going to need us to buy. That, that's, you know, that's when you really find out what the brand is made of. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting when that day comes. It's just for us, you know, we've only seen one, one direction in the market over the last seven years. And I assume you guys are pretty young too, like me. Like, you know, I, I've only seen it in one way. I've, I've seen it going up and up and up right. and up. And um, we haven't been around to see what happens in, say, a 2001 uh, market crash type situation yet. Yeah, you're right. Yo, you know way, what? Let, me, let, me, let me say this first of all. Let me say this. Nowhere in watch podcast history have someone broke down a science like that. It happened right here on a SoCal watch. That's right. Podcast. That's why we brought this guy. That's why we brought yeah. this guy. Nowhere. Yeah. No, for sure, man. But thank you. Thank you. That just kind of, woo. Yeah. Listening to you talk about the way that you, you talk about watches is just so different, right? Because we, we come at it from a passion perspective and it's never about money because we don't have heavy pieces in our collection. So when we get somebody of your caliber kind of really breaking it down and talking that way, it, it really opens up this whole new world for us. And I'm sure for everybody listening and watching as well. And I wanted to congratulate you as well for getting that uh, limited edition BC. Is it Corey Richards, right? That thing is Corey Richards, the Everest. Yeah. And, and look, it, yeah. it pissed off a lot of Insane. people uh, that I would get one. Um, Why? Because they're jealous. Well, it, it's, they're, they're jealous, but they also know like, you know, look, a lot of my collections online, so people can tell what I own. And I obviously not everything I post is mine. Like certainly like, 85, 90% of stuff that I'm posting on there is, you know, pictures from meetups and, and auctions and whatnot. But people know like the stuff that I have, the stuff that I post over and over again. So they know that like the only other VC that I own is the, uh, the basic overseas dual time in blue dial, which is, you know, an entry level watch. So mm. people are going, well, why the fuck is this guy getting a Corey Richards Everest piece, 150 piece limited edition when the only thing he's done is spend 20 grand with the, with the brand so, before. So right? you actually see hate like that? Oh my God. It, dude, there really? was, there was this dude, there was this dude in the middle East that, that like hired a whole production crew and did a, a 45 minute video ranting about the fact that guys like me got an Everest. What? Uh, <laughs> yo, it was wild. It was is wild. Is that on YouTube? It Somewhere? was on Instagram, and I think I think uh, I think well, the whole thing's in Arabic, so you can't understand oh, okay, shit okay. that this man is saying. Okay. But 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 he does at one point go New York watch guy, and that's how you knew that like <laughs> my, my 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 ass is in trouble. Wow. Um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Vacheron called him and was like, "Listen, pal, like <laughs> you you can you can keep this up, and you're never going to get anything else from us again, or you can make a business decision, shut your mouth, and move on." Um, but like, there's been a lot of that going on now That's in crazy. the watch world where, because all of this stuff is so public, because you, because everyone's got Instagram, everyone can see when someone got a watch, uh, there, there's a lot of hate going on, going around mm. of why does this guy deserve to get this watch and why did that person not get one? And it's, you know, it honestly, it's, it's taken a little bit of the fun out of the hobby because, yeah. You know, in the early days, it was like, ah, cool, like, look what I got. But now it's, yo, like, you got a target on your back. And there's people out there that don't want you to get anything anymore. Um, so they're going around spreading rumors about, like, there's, there's, it's like fucking high school up in this shit, in this shit, oh, you know? Yeah. Like, we see that too. people need yeah. to stop. They got to stop. Like, they forget this is a hobby. But the problem is, 
it's a hobby for a lot of us, but it's become a moneymaker for so many more. And right. when there's money at stake and, and there's livelihoods at stake, mm, everything changes. Like all of a sudden, this is a high stakes game now. Uh, and, and that's the unfortunate part because I really do think there's still a bunch of us that do this because we love watches. And again, I'm not going to say that any of us don't think about the financial aspect and the fact that there's that, that you know, our assets are appreciating right now and it makes it so much easier to make that next purchase when you look at your, your watch portfolio and you're like, oh shit, I'm up, you know, 100, 200 percent uh, on all the money I've spent. That may, it makes you feel good and it makes it a lot easier to go in and make that next purchase. I'm not going to say that's not true, but there's a bunch of us, and at least I can say for myself that the pieces that I've bought today, especially the independents, I would be buying these regardless of where the market was on them because I think they're just the coolest things in the world and they give yeah. me a, a great amount of joy and it's brought this community together that is you know, hundreds of people that I now know and break bread with and, and talk with on a daily basis are people that came into my life through the collecting, through, through the collecting hobby um, and, and it's now surpassed even the people I know in the basketball world. I'm a diehard basketball guy, but I don't have this community around basketball because basketball is such a global thing that I feel like it's too broad. Whereas watch collecting is this yeah. niche hobby. And so we all kind of find each other because you can't go anywhere else to find them, right? Like basketball, you can talk <laughs> right. to almost anyone. You can go to the gym and talk hoops with the guy on the court. You can't find a watch guy at the gym. And so we all sort of gravitate towards the gram, I feel like, and, sure. and some of these other communities like Red Bar. And we, we form like this pretty tight bond uh, because we're all a little crazy and, and nobody else understands us. Like I, I play this game with, with, with some of my best friends that know nothing about watch. I'll, I'll send them a, a, a picture of a new watch. I'm like, yo, guess how much this watch costs? And my boy will be like, anywhere from $500 to $500,000. <laughs> I will accept whatever answer you give me. Right. And like people uh, have no clue what, what these things are. And, and that's why, um, you know, I think that, that there's such a strong community bond within the watch community, but it, it's gone from like a lot of fun and games to now it's a cutthroat. Like I'm going to try to fuck this dude over because I want to get an allocation and, you know, fuck him. Right. Like there's, there's that shit going down now. Uh, and that's where I think it, it starts to get a little ugly. Mm, yeah, I agree. Wow. So what's the next independent watch brand to blow up in your opinion? Because F.P. Jorn clearly, you know, <laughs> it's already up there. So. Jorn is done. Um, I think MB&F is next in terms of they're, they're already like very well known, that. obviously. Like everybody mm -hmm. knows MB&F. But again, MB&F a year ago, you're talking 40% off retail is what you're buying these things for, right? 30 at the, at the AD, 40 to 50 off retail in the secondary markets. Now, that shit's selling for full pop, like full pop. You ain't getting $1 off. You ask for a discount, they're like, go pound sand. There's somebody else that's ready to, to, ready to buy this watch right. right now if you don't take mm. it. Right? And that's, that's the first step. Like if you can... If you can sell watches like that at full pop, it then means, and, and when the, with the limited quantities that, that they make, it means that the next step up is these things are going to start trading well over retail. And for me, the, the thing about MB&F, though, it, it's, they're still a little out there, right? They're, they're, they're weird. Like, it's, it's so cool if yeah. you're into them, but it's kind of an acquired taste. Like, they're yeah. not for everybody. Um, so the thing that might hold MBNF back from sort of trading at Jorn multiples, I think, is the fact that they are still kind of quirky and, and not everyone would, would probably want to own one, even though for me, they're, they're my favorite brand. Like, I think they make the coolest stuff in the world. Whereas Jorn, Jorn's a lot more conservative, right? There's a Jorn for everybody. If you're just starting out and you just want a basic dress watch, there's a, there's a $20,000 watch for you. And if you want crazy fucking shit that no one's ever built in the world before, there's a million dollar watch for you and there's everything in between. Whereas for MBNF, I'm kind of like, either you're crazy or you're not. And, yeah. and either you're that guy or you're not. And mm. so, they, you know, they, they may or may not take off to that extent, but I, I'm already seeing it. Her work, I feel the exact same way about where, again, yeah. six months, crazy. a year ago, 
they're a little crazy, right? They're they're yeah. they're out there. They're they're even more crazier, in my opinion, than MBNF in some oh, yeah. in, in some ways. Um, but again, they did a great job cleaning up the secondary market. Now every one of those pieces trades at retail for the most part, uh, and you're now seeing at auction some of those pieces sell for for over retail. Uh, so so you know those two brands for me, it's going to be very interesting to see whether the larger population of watch guys that have been more conservative and have always thought about buying watches as buying something that's round will now sort of move out of that and go, okay, I'm, I'm willing to buy something that's a little wild because it's cool as shit. Uh, so I, I'd, I'd keep my eyes on those two brands, I'd say. What about Gronfield? Because they, they make some beautiful pieces. Every time I see them pop up on my Instagram, I'm like, man, those things are so nice. Are they? Do you think they'll ever become a hype piece? I mean, Gronfeld is, is, is also, you know, in a very similar boat. I remember the, the 1941 Remontoir. So I, I was lucky enough to win the only watch piece two years ago at the only watch auction oh, from them. Nice. And that's, you know, one of, my, one of my favorite pieces ever. But I remember right around the time that that auction happened, probably three months before, I had been looking at some pieces that were on the secondary market. Mm-hmm. And they were at, you know, call it... 10 to 20 percent under retail and i thank god i held out because if i just bought one of those i don't know that i would have bid on the only watch auction but because i didn't buy any of those i ended up bidding at only watch and i i won uh, but today those watches that were selling for call it 50 ish retail are now at 80 ninety thousand dollars Okay. And they're 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 trading over retail already because they only made 188 of those remontoirs, and they were by far you know the watch that put Gronfeld on the map. Um, so the remontoirs are already there. I think the the Principia, which is sort of their next iteration that they made, you know, even those are trading for for 10 grand over retail today because they're having production issues. They're backed up by three years. They've stopped taking mm. all orders. And so that, you know, that's what happens. If you can't produce, then anything that's on the market is already trading over retail because you can't get one. Um, so I think unwittingly, Gronfeld has sort of become a little bit of a hype piece because they can't produce enough. They're backed up. And now any inventory that's available is, is, um, is, is selling for, uh, for a nice little premium. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, I know you just mentioned that you don't like Rolex, right? And, and you don't align with them. But from a business perspective, obviously, we can't dismiss them. And I'm pretty sure our listeners want to know if somebody wants a Rolex at retail, and clearly it's almost nearly impossible to get one, would you recommend somebody go on the gray market and pay the premium prices? You recommend they wait? Like what, what would be your, your advice if somebody came to you and said, I want the new Rolex and Mariner 41 but for some reason I can't get on a wait list. Should I go and pay, you know, X amount on top of that to get it? Or should I wait? Like, well, what should I do? Or should you advise them to go somewhere else and just don't buy a Rolex? Like, I, I want to hear your thoughts. It's funny how many times a day I get DM'd by random people on Instagram <laughs> asking me a Rolex question. And my answer is, bro, I have no fucking clue. I don't even know what that reference number is that you just threw in the chat. Cause like, I know <laughs> nothing about Rolex, like nothing. I know, I know there's this thing called a Submariner and I know there's this thing called a Daytona and that's pretty much the extent to my Rolex knowledge. I, I just don't care for the brand and I, right. I get the history I listen, anyone that can make a million watches a year at that quality and maintain the brand equity that they have in the market year after year after year for decades, I get it from a business perspective. They're a Harvard Business School case study. It's brilliant what they've done. Uh, but as a watch collector, I, it, it does nothing for me. Like I, I don't, yeah. I'm never obsessed over a Rolex, whereas there's, there's other watches that I spend months dreaming about every night and that's how i know today that i need to buy watches if if for months i'm i can't stop thinking about something that's when i'm gonna go buy it so look my advice to someone who can't get a rolex i'm like yo man like there's way better ways to spend 15 grand in the watch market like open your yeah. eyes do some research look around there's better shit why are you buying a rolex the only reason you're 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 obsessed about buying that rolex is because you think that everybody knows what you have on your wrist and it makes you feel good because yeah. nobody knows what that other little watch is that you could buy that's worth way more. 
and has much better everything, aesthetics, dial, movement, everything's way better, but you want to buy a Rolex because of the logo on it, right? That's, that's, that's literally why every Wall Street banker, you know, the, every analyst who gets their first bonus check when they're 22 years old goes over to Rolex and, and wants to buy a Roly. It's, it's because of the flex that it lets you, you have. Um, so for me, I say there's better ways to spend your money. But if you really, really, really want a Rolex and that's all you want, um, you know, one, maybe I suggest going vintage and trying to find something that has some history to it. Um, I think that, you know, from a, again, investment perspective, not that I know anything about Rolex, but something tells me that vintage Rolex will continue to always do well. And so that's a good place to go spend some money. Um, and if you don't want to pay over retail, look, I think it's, it's about building a relationship with a salesperson or someone that gets to know you and understands why you want this watch. Um, I've been able to do it a number of times without, again, not with Rolex, but with other brands where, um, you know, whether or not they know about my Instagram and all of that, I'm like, I go in and I spend an hour with them and they, we talk watches. And at the end of that hour or two hours, they're like, damn, like this, this dude fucking loves watches. Like he, he yeah. knows a lot about them and he talks about them in a way that, yeah, he's probably not going to flip this shit. And so, okay. Like when, when his name comes up, we'll get him something. And I think, you know, today that's where it's come to is that your paths are either you spend a shitload of money and they know that you're a VIP client and they're going to give you what you want, or you got to put in your time. You got to really put in your time and build a relationship with someone. Cause at the end of the day, look, the guy making the guy or girl making this decision on who to give a watch to is a human themselves. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're being, they're being bombarded 24 hours a day by text messages, phone calls, and people walking in. Some probably are nice people. Some are probably assholes and they're going, I want to watch. I want to watch. I want to watch. That's all they're hearing all day long. Yeah. And so, you know, find a way to cut through the clutter, make them, make them believe that you're the guy that should get that next watch. Um, and and it, it can happen. No, no doubt about it. Mm, okay, cool. So, Great advice. So what are, what is your opinion on more affordable pieces like Citizen, Seiko? Yeah. I Cause think, but most of our core uh, audience, I would like to say we're in that tier where it's like, getting into the Tudor Orient, I mean, yep. not Orient, uh, Oris territory, maybe some Rolex and stuff like that. But I don't think a lot of people listening are in your kind of collection was mm-hmm. like Vacheron and Long and stuff like that. So uh, we tell people, you know, get into watches because of the mechanics. And, you know, I, I love your reaction to my Casio, right? You're like, oh, my God, that mm-hmm. is such a cool piece. And so, yeah, we just want to get your thoughts, like P said on Seiko Citizen, Orient, I don't know, Tudor, just like the the lower end brands that still bring a lot to the table. Yeah, I think you know whenever I get a question from my from my newbie watch friends, like guys who are who are who know nothing about watches, but they want to buy their first watch, and they come to me and they're like, "Hey, man, I want to buy a watch." You know, first question obviously is, "What's your budget?" Right, and right. Mo- most of these guys will start in like, "Well, you know, I'd like to spend a couple thousand dollars right, and buy one nice watch." And I, I send them to Nomos a lot. I feel like sure. Nomos is great, great, great entry level brand. You know, design aesthetics are clean, uh, in house German engineering. Like everything's yeah. great about Nomos. I, I, I give them a lot of props for what they've done for the money. I think Seiko is fantastic. Like what you can get uh, again from from Japanese engineering for that price. Like you know, those guys are not skimping on anything, despite the price. Um, I think there's also a lot of micro brands now popping up that are doing some pretty cool stuff. And a lot of them yeah. are, are, you know, local American guys like Oak and Oscar is a great example. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, I, I think that more and more you're seeing great value for money from certain brands. And I'm seeing it even in, in the range that I play in, you know, in that between 20 and $50,000 range, which again, like, you know, calling that approachable is, I, I understand that this is all relative, right? Like yeah. it's all, everything is relative. There's for someone, there's $500. That's a lot of money. And for there's, there's some people for whom 500,000 is nothing. And they're, they're dropping in a blink of an eye. But, you know, I think Chopek is a perfect example of a brand that over the past two to three years, they've, they've revived that brand and they just came out 
uh, at Geneva watch days with this split second chronograph in a, in a steel sport case for, you know, for, for under 50,000, which to get a split second chronograph for under 50 grand, that looks really nice. It's skeletonized sits well on the wrist. Like I was like, Holy snap, like that, that, if that had a Patek logo on it, instead of a Chapek logo on it, you're talking about a $400,000, $500,000 watch in the secondary market. Uh, instead, it's, you know, it's, it's under 50 grand. So at, at every tier, I think that there's brands that are doing really good work and they're, they're giving you tremendous value for money, but you got to do your research to find those brands uh, because they're not often covered quite as closely as the more, the more mainstream brands. And also they don't have the marketing budget that the mainstream brands have, right? So mm. Seiko's got money to be out there putting money to work with, with tennis players as, as the citizen and, and Rolex. And so there's a lot of the brands that, that you hear about because they've got marketing budget, but there's so many brands that have no marketing budget that rely on word of mouth and social media and the community talking about them, but the work they're doing is fucking fantastic. Um, so I would, I would just urge people more than anything else, like do your research, man, because half, half the joy of this collecting game for me was all the research that I did in the early days when I went to my hotel room in Istanbul and I Googled the word Langa, like that's what got all of this started. It was the rabbit hole of doing research. Yeah. Um, and and, and when I, I, I bought a lot of vintage chronographs over the years and all of those, the hunt was so much more fun than actually getting the watch every single time. Like, yeah. right. And, and, and that's the cool part. Like it's, you know, when, when you get to a certain level, there's days when I wish, oh man, I wish I was just a trust fund kid where I had a fuck ton of money. <laughs> I could just go in and, and throw my money around and buy whatever I want. But, you know, I think about that and I go, I don't know. I think that gets old really fast. Like, I don't know that it would be that much fun to go spend money that, that I didn't earn and just buy whatever I wanted. Because now when I make a watch purchase, like it, it hits, like it hurts a little bit with every purchase right. that you make. And I think if it doesn't hurt a little bit, then you won't appreciate it nearly as much. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, I, uh, I think that for every price range, like do your research and, 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 and the one thing I'll say is always extend yourself a little bit. I, that, that's something that I learned in life you know, whenever I had a budget for anything, I always just went a little bit over it, whether it was for an apartment, okay. whether it was for a watch, like going just a little bit over, it hurts a little bit more. But I think what you end up getting in return is like a lot more joy than what you would have gotten had you just stuck with the original budget you had. And then, I, you know, it's a small anecdote. It's a data point of one. But in my life, I've always lived it that way. Great advice. Yeah, great advice. And before we, we get into a new segment that we have, which is uh, quick fire questions, I want to ask you something outside of watches is because I think I would be doing a disservice if I don't ask this. If there's a lot of people watching that uh, either a don't want to start a business and they currently work a job and they just want to you know, do better in life or they do want to start a business, what advice do you have them from a financial uh, aspect or from an entrepreneur's mindset as to what they need to do to get to that next level, whether, like I said, if it's starting a business or staying with their company, like what, what two different mindsets, obviously, but any advice for in life in general, just. I, I think the first thing is it, everything in life is about self-awareness. I think you need to know whether or not you are the type of person that should be running a business because running a business is, it, it seems rosy from the outside. But the reality is the amount of pressure you're under 24 by seven, you've got employees, they've got families, you're responsible for payroll, right? You, you're responsible for their livelihoods. Uh, things yeah. will go wrong. Every single business I've been involved with, something goes wrong and you're on the brink of complete destruction 10 times until you eventually make it out the other side. And frankly, 90, 90 plus percent of the time, you don't make it out the other side. You run a business for several years and it eventually dies. Like it's really hard. Um, and so not everyone is made for that life. And that's fine. Like everybody can't be the CEO of a business. Who the fuck's going to do all the work if that's the case, right? Like right. some people are meant to be nine to five people and there's nothing wrong with that. I promise you that plenty of nine to five people who live very happy lives. They don't have stress. 
They like they put enough food on the on the table for their families, and and they they live their life, and they don't need to be buying five hundred thousand dollar watches. Like <laughs> it's all good, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that that the number one thing I tell young entrepreneurs is like, are you that person? Like for me, I knew I was that person because from the time I was five years old, I was sh- selling shit to kids in, in 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 school. Like I would be selling them candy, I'd be selling them DVDs, like. I would sell them watches, like, you know, like shitty G-Shock watches. Like I've been hawking something since I was five years old. I I got to college. I paid for college by running an eBay store. I got out of college and I knew I can't work a nine to five job because that's just who I am. So I knew from day one that it was either figure out your own path or you're going to be homeless. Like that, that's it. Like those are the only two options for me. Um, But that's not the case for everyone. And so once they've figured out, you know, if they are that person and they are willing to take that risk and they have the stomach to take on the, 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 the pain that comes with running a business, then, you know, I say the, the next thing is just jump, jump in, like jump in because the hardest thing is getting started. There's a million excuses you'll give yourself as to why you're not going to get started, why it's easier to do something else. But if, if you're that person, then just, just jump in and, and never look back. Um, and you'll be fine. Like, you know, the, the amazing part about humans is our ingenuity and our ability to, to navigate and adapt to insane things that happen in our lives. Um, and, and we've, we've always been able to do that as a species for, for millions of years, apparently. Right. And so, uh, you know, running a business will not be the, the toughest thing that you do in your life. I'm sure there will be harder things that will come your way. So just jump in, get going and, um, and just remain self-aware, like knowing your knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at and what you were meant to do, uh, before you, you sort of jump in is probably the, the most important thing. Great, Ooh. solid Ooh. advice. All right. Well, we are getting to that, uh, part of the show now where it's a quick fire question. So P Ross yeah. is going to ask you four, uh, questions is fire away this or that right. type of question so let's do it p new york nets versus brooklyn nets Bro- new york knicks versus brooklyn Ooh. nets i, I got to go nets got to go nets um, uh, really yeah, i wasn't yeah, expecting yeah. it yeah i wasn't expecting uh, it. i mean if, if, the, if the question is who am i rooting for it's the knicks if you ask me who i think is going to go further this year or anytime in the near future it's definitely the nets like i I'd never bet against KD, but um, right. the Nets got all sorts of problems right now, man. That that boy Kyrie is tripping right now. So yeah, I know, you know I know. Right? I, I, I think I think I'm going with the Knicks. Okay, cool. With you being in New York, I know you hear a lot of hip hop. King of New York, Jay Z or Nas? Ooh. Uh, so I should not be answering this question because I'm a metalhead. Uh, I've, okay. I've been a hardcore Metallica guy forever. Okay. So with with my limited hip hop knowledge, I'm going Jay Z. Uh, because because of the watch game, if for no other reason. Okay. okay. Right. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's got it. <laughs> okay. F. P. Jorn or Vacheron? Ooh. Oh man, you're putting me in a really tough spot right now. <laughs> really tough because. <laughs> I, I got I got friends in high places at both of these brands. I can't I can't be answering this question. I'm I'm gonna get taken out if I answer this question. <laughs> okay. okay. Oh, so there's- Seiko or Grand Seiko? Oh, I mean, definitely Grand Seiko. I gotta go Grand yeah. Seiko. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get, we give okay. him an easy one. Give him. Okay, that's, yeah. that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Oh. All right. That works. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I I, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, being with us uh nyc watch guy because we we definitely enjoyed it i i had so many other questions obviously we we already hit our time but i I have questions on like richard mill right and they're like the hottest thing and people are talking about oh the market is gonna it's gonna burst with them or the bubble's gonna burst with richard mills and there's no possibility it could be it it could be sustainable for so long and with a lot of youtube um channels now i don't know if you watch youtube a lot but there's a lot of channels like dealing in the gray market and kind of showing you the behind the scenes and i swear it's all about ap richard mill and rolex that's all they talk about and those richard mills are just stupid expensive and i'm like Mm -hmm. crazy so if you don't mind at a future you know episode uh we will love to have you back and talk maybe a little bit more richard mill and some other like really hot pieces because we had a fantastic time with you man 
Yes, sir. I, I was going to say we can uh, we can always do this another time. So happy yeah, to come back sure. and uh, and do it. Yeah, cool. sounds good, man. Well, thank you so much. And where can people find you and follow you and see your crazy collection and your crazy life? And <laughs> NYC watch guy on the gram. That's uh, that's, that's the pretty place. much it. Okay, cool. Yeah. What's up, P Ross? Ross wristwatch love everywhere: YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Sounds good. And for me, SoCal Watch Reviews on YouTube, Instagram, and of course, this podcast. And uh, thank you all so much for your support. We're on our way to episode 100. We got a, a, a guest, obviously, for episode 100. We talked about him. So I think it should be a fun one. But I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. A lot of knowledge. This is a lot to break down. I have to go back and listen to this episode just to oh, kind yeah. of really understand everything our friend here was saying. But Anyway, thank you guys so much for for you guys for being on the podcast. And thank you so much for everybody uh, listening, watching. Stay humble.